0: virtual clinical trials is a thing now too. You can do all kinds of stuff remotely. Look into it. That's actually the next forefront is starting to do virtual clinical trials to increase the access to trials for people who live in remote places that aren't near major academic centers and they're starting to decentralize the way they do trials and stuff. It's pretty cool.
1: I'm obsessed with that. Welcome to Target Cancer Podcast. My name is Dr. Sanjay Daneja. I'm a triple-boarded hematologist, medical oncologist, and an internist. And we are going to talk about something that I'm so excited about because I actually spent about 10 minutes before this podcast getting to know her. Dr. Purdy is someone that is extraordinarily accomplished. And there's one thing that's been her biggest goal, and that is basically enabling access so that people can get good care and feel heard and basically understand their health so they can be empowered and then do the best things possible. She's done it in a gazillion different ways. And yes, that's the exact number. And it's been from different things like virtual healthcare visits. She learned a lot and was actually able to enable people to get care in Ukraine during the war, during COVID. Welcome to the podcast. What did I miss?
0: I think you hit the high points. I mean, there's so much to talk about. There really is. But the point is, at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, right? More access, better care, reaching people everywhere, and increasing the doctor's capacity to take care of people. Who doesn't want that, right? right? So I call myself, or you know, I'm called America's favorite doctor. And the reason why is because I'm licensed in all 50 states. And I have companies and clients and patients and people that I work with, businesses all across the country and literally every single human in the United States of all ages, because I'm family medicine, so, you know, end to end, um, can they can all all be my patients, and so I'm excited to be here. Thanks for of having course. me. Of
1: course, I think it's awesome. I read that I was like licensed in all 50 states. That's absolutely wild. I did have a question though. Right before we start, if you're licensed in the states and you're virtual, say like cancer patients were kind of like tuning in to be able to get something with like you know mental health or kind of like the stuff that's more collateral. That it, there's just a huge injustice. There's not a lot of support for the things outside of direct treatment when it comes to a typical you know community oncology clinic. Are there like narcotic, you know, prescriptions or sometimes a lot of the, you know, THC products that really help with cancer-related nausea and stuff? Can you do that stuff virtually if you ha- are aborted or you also have to have DEAs like in different places? How does that work?
0: Sort okay. of. So as you know, the that's actually, you know, that's so it's DEA and then also the states have their own Policies, right? rule and yeah, rules and legislations and narcotics are the absolute hardest thing to prescribe through virtual health. And and frankly, it's because a lot of people have done the wrong thing and they abused the privilege and they they kind of messed it up for the rest of us. THC, however, (laughs) listen up, people who have cancer and want THC, there are hundreds, maybe even more than that, of medical marijuana telehealth companies, like a gazillion, is that what you said? The actual number. So many within the last two years. That has been, I would say, that and mental health have been the two areas that have exploded. Um, like Green Care Docs, medical cards, yes. Nug MD. Like there's so many, so many. I don't even MMJ. Rex was another one. Tons of companies. So you can you can get all of that, but it depends on the state. If it's a if it's a controlled substance, then you have to have a DEA there. Well, technically, you don't because the HHS waiver is still in effect from the pandemic yeah. for the next few months. But I go ahead and tell people just get the DEA number because if you're treating these patients and then they take away the waiver, then that doesn't no, it doesn't help anybody. So right. you can do it, but you do have to have the DEA number unless it's um, not a controlled substance and then you don't. Right. right? That
1: makes sense. Which not days, it's not. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, and the one really cool thing about like pain is that there's so many, and I really need this own episode on, you know, kind of interventions that you can do. Of course, you can kind of like block nerves, right? That perceive the pain. If you have like something that's like in the bone and, and compressing a certain place or constantly just transmitting that signal you know, pain makes sense evolutionarily. It's like you need to know that something's there so you can either, you know, pull that, you know, arrowhead out or whatever or not step on something. But if you know it's going to be there, then it doesn't make a lot of sense to have that sensory constantly. And you can inject stuff, you know, at the nerve root. And now they have these, you know, what are what I call intrathecal pain pumps. So basically right at that site of disease, so say like you have some, you know, cancer spots in your hip and it's constantly hurting, you can actually place it inside the thecal sac. And then on that pump, you're able to deliver that kind of, uh, opioid or that kind of moo, you know, receptor related uh, analgesic at the actual place where it's being conducted, the pain, so that your systemic toxicities, right, or at least the systemic circulation is actually really minimal because the CNS system, the spinal cord and the brain, is all kind of a sanctuary. And so you don't have to kind of take it by mouth or get an IV to where you have these high concentrations causes, causing constipation and dry mouth and all these other problems and instead achieve the same thing. So there's a whole bunch of stuff out there that. And if anyone's listening, and they're like, because you know, like you said, narcotics are a very big problem. Like, really, anything good in life, right? If it's abused, it becomes a bad thing. But it also like serves a place. And I think sometimes it's hard. Like, I've I've seen a lot of people on my social media comment like, I have very real pain, and even though I'm young and I look okay, I, you know, I've cancer in my bones. There are all kinds of strategies where you can see a pain specialist. So that's one point. And the second point is with THC and marijuana that, you, that we were talking about. I mean, they're, you know, Cleveland Clinic, Mayo, I believe, and uh, several centers have been looking to see the role. And part of the reason is because it can really be kind of uh, helpful when it comes to, like, pain, nausea, appetite, and it's continuing to be studied with relatively low side effect profiles. So it's something that, again, also probably needs its own episode. And if, if I had it my way, I'd bring you back on board for that. We would do some reading together. But, um... But I think it's so neat that you're boarding in all those places because, again, you really are big on access. And one of the biggest things that I'm very particular about, and it's with bias, obviously, but it's on cancer screening. Because a lot of people say, like, why, you know, why aren't we able to catch you know, cancer sooner? Why are they advanced? And a lot of people also say, like... I don't want to get screened because if I I saw what cancer did to, you know, my loved one, it was very difficult, and I would rather not know about the cancer and kind of just, like, you know, not go through those treatments. And there's several points there, and I need to stop talking because I want to hear you talk, and that's what I'm so excited about. But the couple of points are... Cancer was treated very differently even 20 or 30 years ago. It was a lot of intense cytotoxic chemotherapies and toxicities and shotgun approaches, and now we have all kinds of targeted stuff. But secondly, and more importantly, that I would love to hear your thoughts on, is screening is not necessarily to say, Oh yeah, I'm sorry, you got a really bad diagnosis and life doesn't, you know, look good. It's really to, in a lot of circumstances, like pap smears and stuff to catch cancers before they become a big problem and go stage four and spread, right? Because a lot of times you can snip out a stage one colon or, you know, something sketchy on a, on a pap smear or on a, on a mammogram and actually avoid uh, mortality and stage four stuff. And I'm sure you're able to do that in this, like, virtual setting to be able to arrange to make sure they get their screening. Why? Because screening, that standard of care, at least first line recommended, usually is approved by everything, right?
0: Yes. That's the whole, what I tell patients about screening, because I'm a primary care doctor, family medicine, right? So like the first line of defense when it comes to screening. What I tell them is that's the whole point of a screening test. The point of a screening test means that anybody who qualifies, right? Whether that's somebody over the age of 50, or women over the age of 40, or whatever the guidelines are right now, every three to five years, if you have a cervix, the point of screening is not to tell everybody they have stage four cancer and have three months to live. The point is that we've identified that if we start looking at a certain age, we can catch the thing, just like anything else, an infection, right, an injury, you catch these things early, so that you can do something about it. And if there was nothing we could do about it, we wouldn't have the screening test. That's the whole Ooh, point. I love that we screen for point. things that we can do something about. Yes. Right? I
1: love that second point. I never thought of it like that. That's true. We wouldn't just do it just to say that because it actually helps. That's why they say, like, pap smears and yeah. cervical cancer really shouldn't be a thing because it gives you a big lead time before it becomes cancer. Like, all those terms, like little atypia or dysplasia or CIN1, like, all of those things are just different variants of. Okay, it's not cancer yet, but we know what the lead time and intervals are. And the same with colonoscopies. We know it's three years or five years or ten years based on no polyps. Is it a nice little, you know, benign adenoma to polyp? Is it a tubulovillus adenoma, which, you know, has about an 8% chance and within five years? That's where these numbers are coming from. But any test is scary, right? I remember... One of my friends wanted me to go get, like, HIV tested with them because they were worried about stuff in college as freshmen. And I was actually nervous about the results. And at that point, you know, had no reason to be, literally. But it's still scary, right? Just even though I had no logical reason that that it could be just given where I was at in that place in my life. So it, it's definitely appreciable how scary it is. But most people, obviously, will get good news and... It's something that, like, as far as the screening goes, that can still be arranged, right? So if somebody went to you for their primary care because it's hard to access, or their primary doctor is just oversaturated, taking care of really sick people, 60 patients a day, say they wanted some more face-to-face time, they can still have the screening part that that doctor would have done to arrange, done this way, if they have basically any kind of insurance, if it's a standard screening, correct?
0: Yes, or cash pay. I mean, some people actually would rather just pay for it in cash because... How many times do you hear people say, I love my insurance company. It's really mm-hmm. cheap and they pay for everything. I mean, that's just like, it's not really the reality for a lot of people, but you can still get all of that online, every bit yeah. of it. And and it's, it's worth saying too, it's important to get repeat screenings. There's a reason why the guidelines say, get this done every five years or get this done every 10 years. Because during that amount of time, you being a human, being alive in the age that you are and the gender that you may be, you're at risk of still developing cancer, even if it was negative before. So it's important to also do, you know, follow your doctor's advice and get, get your follow-on screenings too. It's, it is so preventable. And nowadays, I mean, there's even, I don't, we didn't talk about this, so I don't know what your opinion on it is, but there are some more cutting edge, like cell-free DNA, blood tests, and like other screens like that, that people can pay cash for. And and some people even ask for tumor markers, which this is America. You're allowed to do that. If you want to pay for tumor markers, you can do that. And um, so there's a lot. There's a lot that you can do in this country from the comfort of your own home and still be getting health care.
1: Right. And that's, I mean, that's a good point because mm-hmm. a lot of times it does make sense. There's a lot of models where people are having, even if it's not virtually, like they pay a cash amount like you know, a year or a month. And they're able to basically have kind of more directed access to somebody that doesn't have a high volume in person or just pay cash for someone online. But I don't want anyone to think, and if I understand it correctly, you can still pay for cash. A lot of times it does make sense to have the virtual visit. But if you have insurance, then the screening at least like you don't have to worry about paying cash for that because you paid for a virtual visit. It's indicated you meet the guidelines for the bare minimum, you're able to then get that covered with whatever you do, whatever you have, you know, it's not good or bad. If it's Medicare, you know, standard kind of grade A, category one recommendation that will be covered despite the fact that you used, obviously, like, cash pay for somebody online. So it's – that's, you know, that's straightforward. It's amazing, and I hope that kind of encourages people to be able to do it. I love – another brilliant point you said that I never said it so clearly, but you're like, as you get older, like, it can happen again. It's not like, oh, I'm good. By far – and I did a little TikTok on this where I said, like, what is the biggest, you know, factor for, like, cancer? And It was, like, smoking and red meats and, and sugar and age. And I was like, you know, which one is it? It's obviously age. Like, nothing. Nothing. Age. Yeah, age, age, age. And we, you called me middle aged and old before we started this thing. But
0: especially for men, sorry guys, uh, if you all live enough, everyone of y'all's getting prostate yeah, cancer. Yeah, so that,
1: that, that's the thing. Is
0: that still the statistic? Because anything, everybody, since, I a, yeah,
1: no. But I mean, they say if you live all long enough. Them. But yeah, so I mean, to your exact point, um, you know, it's it's the errors that happen over time. And obviously, if you're you know 90 years old, you have more errors. Or middle age, like you called me. And I have more hairs than I did when I was 15, and so therefore, that's the, that's the thing you worry about. So, that's on screening. And then the second thing that I was curious about, and this is really big, we touched on it, but there is a severely, it's basically unjust, availability of me- mental health and kind of like emotional, you know, psychological things in general, of course, in this country, but especially underserved i had cody christian the the actor and he were, he got very real about it he's like you know it's hard to st- find stuff for my mom when she was going through that stuff but it's was, there was almost nothing other than cash pay and thank goodness i had the means that for all the sons and daughters of parents that are having it where you can st- find something available without paying a lot of money but that was before virtual right because obviously virtual because things are available it's a lot more cost effective than you know a private in-house brick and mortar shop in, in town what and I know you are a consultant or kind of like a you know advisor guru for so many different like uh virtual like you know uh platforms it's not just preventative family care you've done you've done him and hers or hymns and all it's just all the things that I've seen all over everywhere that's something that's available right that somebody that needs that kind of like support can still have a very real call like this. And I feel like I know you already so well in the first 10 minutes before we chatted. Um, They can still achieve this and have these regular intervals. And and if they're having difficulty finding someone at home, it may not be something covered with insurance. Or let's start there. Can you have psychological, I guess, help or mental health help and it ever be covered with insurance if it's virtual?
0: Yes, it depends on the insurance carrier. It really does. And it's just as complex as it is in person. You know, of course, they you have to have a certain length and you have to have a certain modality, meaning like this on a video, you have to have your, your diagnosis codes. You have to qualify for the diagnosis, the screening, the time, there's so many factors, but yes, you, there are companies out there that are using insurance to do not only one time, but actually the exact same model that you get in person, long-term, repeatable with prescriptions if necessary. And they'll do like psychologists or, uh, LCSW or you know whatever sort of type of therapist that you need yes I, I would say neck and neck with the marijuana industry um, that's been the biggest thing that I've seen boom in digital medicine especially since the pandemic when
1: forget about needed. it I
0: mean there was no there was no option well we needed it and you couldn't go anywhere
1: yeah that too
0: the therapist you know brick and mortar facility wasn't critical enough right. in a lot of places unfortunately for those facilities to be open
1: yeah is there a quick way other than just kind of like, I guess being on hold for a long time with your insurance company to be able to see if you have any of those things in your insurance or is it just like, you know, is there like a little website where you can go? Probably not. They try to make it difficult usually, right?
0: You can try. So actually you you can. Some of the really big ones like Teladoc and MD Live, they are actually, and I think maybe even Amwell, they have partnerships and are in network with some of the big, like Cigna, I think, if oh. I remember correctly. Optum. One of those big insurance companies owns MD live now. And so there's, there's, it's, we're really starting to see that more often than we used to. So contacting the insurance company is actually a great place to start because the insurance companies are starting to realize that this is, I hate to say it, but it is more money for them, right? right? They can get reimbursed for it. Their patients are using it. And I, I hate to even say it like this, but if, but if they, that that's you know more money for them, so
1: no, I mean there's incentive I'm for them to that. do it. Yeah, because one of the things that I learned, you know, in three short years of, of being on a fellowship, is like at first you learn like oh this is like it seems like it's you know money driven or this that and the other. I think at first, the first year was a little difficult for me to kind of like understand because you obviously sign up for something 14 years before an oncologist or, you know, 12 and same amount of time, but you did a whole bunch of stuff with with military and army stuff. But you would have no idea to appreciate like what it's like, right, when you're signing up and you get out there and and you hopefully have made it through those 14 years just hanging your hat on being able to help people. And you realize that you are in a large part, unless you're, you know, an academic place, which actually still applies, you know, it is... Basically, once you accept that, like, okay, this is what their primary incentive is, it is it's for profit, or this is for how they make money, whatever, it actually somehow makes you a better physician and a better kind of facilitator, because then you, like, accept it for what it is, and it doesn't mean, like, then you can use, you know, the system and help navigate and, and, and figure all that stuff out. And it's funny, I share that sometimes with, you know, non-medical friends, and again, the fact that you just said something spot on, it's never a bad thing to realize why, if it helps the greater good. And so with that, with pharma companies, you know, on TikTok, a lot of times people say, oh, you're an oncologist. It's just to help pharma make money. And I'm like, you're right. Pharma's making money. I'm not making money because that's pharma. But at the same time, pharma's trying to make money, but at least the way they're trying to do it actually helps a lot of people. And a lot of times has, you know, therapeutics that are so much more forgiving and and kind of in line with quality of life than kind of the traditional cytotoxic chemos, which will always have a role because they're very effective. But that's interesting. Inventing new
0: drugs is expensive, right? Yes. Scientists? laboratories, yeah. inventing
1: equipment. smart inventing. brains. That's
0: inventing money. is
1: expensive. That's, 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 that's inventing is
0: expensive. I can't invent new drugs. Can you? No. Oh, you probably can. You're you're probably smart enough to do that, but I am not. So I'm glad that they have the money to pay for the big brains.
1: Exactly. To, to,
0: to make, invent new drugs. Yes. Right?
1: And I love that you said that because I had a really good podcast with Greg Simon, who was the first... Um, Executive director of Cancer Moonshot, he's actually devising a system. One, he breaks down why they're so expensive, and it's more the retro cost of the hundreds of millions to see if it works out. But two, he's devising an entire system where you can kind of hedge basically against certain medications, and the own pharma company can because when they see that something is coming to basically replace it, they don't have to increase the prices to justify stuff. You hedge it against yourself, you make it up, and then therefore the costs are less for everybody else. He goes back to that kind of accepting that like this is what it is. Like, you know, companies generally don't want to lose money. But then if you find a system to where they can then not lose as much money, it actually helps the cost of everybody. But I digress. So basically, it's available, it sounds like. There's a whole bunch of different ways to do it. We'll probably put some links on this podcast. And I want everybody, of course, to go to your website, which I checked out. It says coming soon. But you just have to Google your name to be able to see, like, all the different resources. I just love that your, like, stuff is all about access. And you're just doing it so glamorously. But it's uh, it's neat. Where Where, where can people find you before I ask you the next question? Because I want to make sure that they can kind of... You know, basically soak up the rewards and nutrients that you're fertilizing to help a very over-dried system when it comes to preventative care and access.
0: <laughs> Please do, there's so much more to come. We have a re- really long, I would say pipeline and runway of things we're gonna talk about and stuff we're gonna share with, with the public to help them understand why they must demand increased access to care through telehealth because the only way that things are gonna change is if the people with the power make a change and it's not me, it's not you, we don't really have the power. It's the citizens and the people of America that have the power. So my job is to educate so that they can then demand change. But I do have a website. I think the web design team met today. I'm hoping we're gonna see that come to fruition soon. But it is, uh, you know is Dr. Laura Purdy, drlaurapurdy.com. I have an Instagram too. I'm on LinkedIn too. You're right, I'm all over the internet. You can find me. I'm not hard to find. People do it every day.
1: You can really start in any capacity, right? Like. Things can start on literally like a, a county, as, as you all call it. So we have parishes down in Louisiana. But as a parish or as a county, like, you, you know, you can start at that level. You can start, like, in city, mayor's office, governor's office. Like, it's – I've been also very humbled to learn in three years how easily policy – I say easy, but, but policy can be very like you know manageable and changed, and it can start from anybody. That's the whole concept, and maybe I sound ignorant because you're like, yeah, bro, that's what elections and all this stuff is for, but it can really start at a state level. You don't have to wait for the federal stuff to change, and then, then it can go to federal when people are taking suit, so that's a very good point. Uh, to be able to, like, hopefully kind of stimulate and say, hey, this is what we need, we need access. If you're listening to this, and you're like, you know, I get two seconds with my, like, primary doctor, and I wish I could ask more questions, or ask why, like, my labs aren't, you know, making sense, or they say everything fine, but there's a whole bunch of red, and it's supposed to be black. You know, if you're feeling those kind of things, then that's where, like, a virtual, you know, like, if, you're, if your community's saturated, it's not that they're unthoughtful, it's that a lot of people have a lot of needs. They have A one C diabetes of twelve and so a lot of times communities just oversaturated with taking people that are very, you know, more or less acutely ill. And that preventative care gets lost, not because they're not caring, but because we have a shortage of doctors. And it sounds like that's a really good candidate to be able to say like, hey, let me break this stuff down for me. What do I eat? I just want to know what to eat. They say, they say these general three things, but I want to learn more. You can do all that stuff virtually.
0: Yeah, you definitely can. I, any, anything that you want to do, actually, one thing that you'll probably be really excited about, and, or um, maybe you won't, but I bet you will, because you do cancer, is virtual clinical trials is a thing now, too. You can do all kinds of stuff remotely. Look into it. That's actually the next forefront is starting to do virtual clinical trials to increase the access to trials for people who live in remote places that aren't near major academic centers. And they're starting to decentralize the way they do trials and stuff. It's pretty cool. Who is? There's several companies. I can look them up and tell you.
1: I'm obsessed with that. Yeah, like, I mean, we work, you know, so X-Cures is a company I met for that same reason. I was like, you know, I try to go to that fourth, fifth, like, anything that makes sense line. But I'm like, I know there's stuff that I can't access, but I don't want or my patient can't, fly to MD Anderson, which is kind of close, and then Tulane, and then Memorial Sloan. I'm like, how is there, with all the technology in the world, not a way where I can just query it all just to see what's even available and relevant, but in a a good kind of precise way based on what's called the sequencing. So sequencing of your tumor is basically like the the fingerprint. It's like the blueprint for a house, right? Like architects basically make a blueprint, and then they get paid a lot of money to continue to resell that, that blueprint, because even though you can see it from the exterior and interior, you don't know a house and its bones and everything until you've seen that kind of stuff. And that's what tumors are with sequencing. How can you take the specific type of cancer that you have all those hundreds of different mutations, not just the fact that it's colorectal. And then also be able to see what is out there, either from academic centers or pharma, and what's the NCC on, like, common, like, first, second, third line. What are the, what are the recommended ways to do it? That's what x does. So that's how we met. And then X-Cures is like, hey, Sanjay, love what you're doing. Like, keep teaching about these things so that people can understand why they are or aren't getting certain therapies. But they try to do that as well. It's a free service where you can get basically you just type in your name and then they populate all of the like they pull your sequencing, your imaging, your the treatments you've gotten, and then tell you everything that's available everywhere. And and I think all of this is just you don't see many people kind of picking their heads up and able to just say, hey, we have a problem here. People aren't getting standard of care in the country. People having to fly like to multiple centers and and obviously cancer is debilitating enough and finally people are picking their heads up like you like the you know like the telehealth world and and Mika Newton who started X cures and now I'm getting a little emotional because I never get this like real when it comes to like on a podcast usually kind of on the surface but it's an amazing thing because like finally people are You're saying dead. like let's pick our heads up and and innovate and revolutionize and and it's people have deserved that for a long time especially gosh I'm rambling so much I'm sorry but especially I worked at the VA for a while and that would yep. that place especially I mean there were so many patients that didn't get there, when they did get in with behavioral and mental health, at least in down Louisiana, like it was very good. But then sometimes it can take a while and there's level of services. So, you know, I do think obviously anyone that's worked in the system knows there's a huge disservice to you know, veterans, especially. I mean, especially when you talk about the Vietnam vets and stuff. It's just almost kind of swept under the rug. And I, I hope, I'm sure there's something out there where we're able to reach you know, them more to kind of finally, it's never too late. Some people just have buried it. But I think quality of life wise, just intervening even now could be really impact, impactful, you know.
0: It definitely can be. That's the beauty of, if you want to talk about specifically mental health, the beauty of that is it's so easy online. You can just Google it, right? PTSD, trauma therapy, war therapy, veteran therapy, whatever. And you'll find the companies. And a lot of people say, well, how do I know what's a good company? Well, the interesting thing is that with all the rules with Google and search engines, to even get your website, your digital health website on the internet, you have to pass a huge battery of of tests and hurdles and approvals and Google really or and the other search engines they won't really put your website up unless it's legitimate they verify it really first. yes they do especially if you're advertising that your medical care you can't even do Google ads or SEO or anything like that if if you're not doing it right they will shut you down like that so yeah. the simple fact that you can find them online actually says a lot about the legitimacy of what they're doing But you can actually just like a just like a directory. You can scroll through and look for the right person for you, whether that's gender, demographic, life experience, area of specialty, and you can hand pick somebody and usually get in within a week or two as opposed to six months that it might take in the brick and mortar and in institutional healthcare. Right. You can get in pretty quick and establish yourself, even as a veteran. There is actually there's a there's a lot, a wealth of Therapists and people out there who want to help the veterans and are trying to find them, but they're stuck deeply entrenched in the VA system or they'll have TRICARE for life and they still try to go to the army hospitals or the military hospitals and they're like the last ones in the door because, mm-hmm. you know, they also have Medicare sometimes at that time. But um, yeah, it's out there.
1: That's awesome. I didn't, I mean, it's really neat to know that, like, it's more or less been, you know, vetted to a degree and and that it's accessible. So to that point, that reminds me, like, with Christmas and Christmas gift giving and stuff, what if you had somebody that you really cared about? Because obviously the most challenging thing or arguably one of the most challenging things about mental health care is to get someone to, like, take that initiative, right? And so if you wanted to gift somebody with, like, a session or, you know, maybe a weekly session for a month just because you care about them and love them... Is there a way to do that when it comes to, like, HIPAA stuff and health stuff? Like, can I just log on and say, hey, I really care about you. You know, thank you for serving our country. We've gotten to be friends. And can I just – is there a way to do that? Is, is that a thing? Or I bet you're putting a pencil in it to just make a, another multi
0: but not really. No, I mean, because okay. if you think about it, so I, it actually happens a lot. So back when I worked at HIMSS, it was very common for women to log in and try to get surprised by Hegra. For their spouses. Well intended, right? But the problem is, is you can't legally, because all the same rules that apply in person also apply online. So if, if you think about the fact that I can't show up at a visit for you and say, I need Viagra for him. Can I have it? You can't do that. But what you could do is say, hey, Merry Christmas, take a screenshot or download the app on their phone, something like that. Merry Christmas! I'm gonna sign you up for this, or take a little video of yourself, like, "Hey, Merry Christmas! I am want to sign you up for six sessions because I know you're hurting and life sucks." And Merry Christmas! Yeah. And, you, know, you there's a lot of ways to do it, but actually, it makes more work for you. It makes more work for the company because they have to delete the whole account and make a new one if you try to sign up. If you try to sign up to gift it. So it's better just to give the idea and not the actual account because then you violated
1: that makes sense.
0: medical <laughs> record laws.
1: But so, so, you know, you being a mompreneur, that would be nice to have a company and maybe we can like post a link if there is one for a mental health thing where you can actually just buy a, like a, a gift card. So like that way you're actually bypassing, you're not actually making an account. And then you can say like, Hey, here's a way to be able to give for our, like, you know, therapy or like, you know, mental health therapy. And then you can just populate that kind of gift code card or whatever. So that's, you know, that's if, if we find something, we'll post that in the podcast. Cause that's Let's cool. look
0: into it. I'll look into it after this and we'll see what we can find. And if not, sure. I will reach out to some of my friends in the mental health industry and be like, hey, have you ever thought about gift cards? Because yeah. it can't be that no, hard I to think... do, right? A lot of them are Shopify stores underneath. so Right,
1: that's true. On the front I end. Think by, I think by Shopify you saying, stores. asking your friends, you mean you're just going to start another company and just basically crush it with that concept. Love it. If there's anything else relating to cancer that you want, so like we have a predominantly, like we have people that are very like cerebrally like vivacious. Like they just, they, they love like, technology stuff and like you know how we're moving forward and what we're more aware of but the big questions that i don't get a lot of you know or don't have a lot of answers for in my oncology training is what can i do like obviously like the smoking everyone says the same stuff don't smoke you know drink as least as you can unfortunately i've I've always looked for literature to say that like oh in this instance okay but in general alcohol does increase your chances albeit not you know crazy depending on how much you have and then greens and all this stuff but, but is there anything else that you would like people to know when it comes from a preventative uh, care standpoint relating to cancer, relating to, like, preventing cancer? Or, or you had mentioned a couple of tests with circulating tumor DNA, if you want to describe that. Just anything, anything that you're passionate about when it relates to, uh, you know, oncologic stuff.
0: Oncologic stuff from the point of view of a family medicine doctor, Yeah, got this. So got I actually, I do like the, the cell-free DNA. I don't know what you call it, but the, the clients that I've worked with, they call it cell-free DNA, mm-hmm. which is, as I understand it, they take a sample of your blood and they're looking for certain fragments that have been associated with the likelihood of developing certain tumors. And it can be lung, prostate, gastric, pancreas, breast, if I remember the it's last like 30 time. Them,
1: 30 to 50 of it, them. Yeah, yeah
0: several. Quant Gene is the name of a company that 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 comes to mind. And the really interesting thing about it is that it tells you whether you do or don't right now. But again, there's it doesn't tell you in the future. So it de- and definitely does not replace the routine screenings that you should do. So it's kind of like a like a let's get checked or a 23andMe where you're getting it for your own knowledge and edification. But even if it's positive, you would still go see your doctor. Oh yeah, because it doesn't mean that you have a raging pancreatic cancer necessarily. It just means there's something about you that has an increased risk, and maybe go see your doctor.
1: Well, I do think that risk, it's doctor, either going to be risk or it's actually going to be the cancer itself, though. It can like be. Look at yeah, they look at so they had a big study in China, a big study in Europe, and. A lot of these, just like we were saying, like a tubulovillus adenoma, right? That, like that's closer to cancer. So like you may have a mutation that could be in either one, but then it can definitely tell you like if you have things that are pretty classically, iconically only seen in cancer as well. So obviously you definitely need a professional if like it's positive or something. If it's negative, it's pretty, you know, like sensitive to a degree, like sometimes arguably more than screening because the whole concept is, you know, DNA of, Cancers, just like your regular cells, everything sheds, everything dies, everything grows. So when things proliferate, the other ones, the old ones, die, and you can kind of see that stuff because the blood, you know, system, fortunately, is closed or ideally, which means everything circulates like through every single part of your tissue. Like that's how you get your fuel and your gas and your nutrition, and so you're catching those like like uh, pieces basically. And and I do think it's going to be the future. And it's going to help cancer rates like crazy because every any cancer doesn't matter what it is. The best thing and chance to be able to catch is catch it early enough. If you ideally caught it when it was one or two cancer cells, rather than the 250 million that's required to just see it on a CT scan as a little like five millimeter lesion, like then obviously you cut out that colon like colony. That's why with like lumpectomies and mastectomies, we take out the cancer and, or long or anything else and you take out a whole bunch of stuff around it to say let's just very liberally make sure we got that rogue colony that just started growing and a whole bunch of good stuff around it that's the whole concept of margins but that's a very good point that test there's a bunch of them they're like eight or nine hundred bucks I think uh, uh, in general and the studies show that there was like basically it was a family medicine or internal medicine doctor's call that they said, It's like a mild to moderate, like, meh, maybe they have cancer. I can't explain why they look like, you know, low energy, why they're losing weight. But everything's mostly negative. It wasn't really crazy, like, uh, you know, concerning or alarming symptoms that made the test of the study. It wasn't like they had 40 pounds of weight loss or anything. It just was kind of like a, just, what do they call it, physician's kind of like judgment call. And it was actually very sensitive to if they had cancer, it was like found. And then also when other modalities said they didn't, it actually found it. it, it's, it it's pretty imp- impressive science. And I think it will be kind of a standard over the next five years. I mean, it's crazy.
0: I couldn't agree more with you. And yeah, it also makes me think, You another thing you can do, like you said, tell me anything about cancer prevention. A lot of times some of the genetic tests, like the BRCA testing, or the, I forget what the Lynch syndrome one is, where you can get tumors everywhere. Mm -hmm. You may not necessarily meet criteria for getting that ordered and paid for, but there are ways out there to go and pay cash for it. If you don't meet criteria to have insurance pay for a bracket test for you, there's companies out there where you can say, look, I just wanna know, here, take my cash, test me. and, And you can actually find out that that's actually If you Google on the Internet, you'll find there was a lot of companies that got in trouble for trying to use insurance reimbursement for that. And they committed a lot of fraud, waste and abuse. And some Mm. of them are in prison because they like billed for genetic tests that were not medically necessary. But the way it works in the United States of America is that if you want to pay your money to get tested for something genetic, you have the full democratic right to do so regardless of your insurance company so you can get tested for whatever you want really
1: right and they're they're finding people that have BRCA. like we're learning kind of recently in the last couple of years that like there you could still be in your 60s and 70s and have a BRCA mutation related cancer so like our guidelines keep kind of widening right become more liberal because at first we're like oh if it's not this that and the other and we're like oh hold the phone maybe like if it's any triple negative or maybe so we're obviously like oncology is a very humbling field medicine is also and but especially in college we're just we learn things you know sometimes the the tough way and sometimes whatever but it's always changing and so it's never you know a bad idea to exactly your point if you have i i i still use gut feelings as part of my practice like it's never gonna like Completely make a thing but I do believe that there's something about gut feelings and this and that that should be considered And I I believe totally anecdotally in my own opinion that if somebody's very dismissive about gut feelings I think not only you know if that upsets you or hurts you that it's you know justified It also has a big a big bearing on what the quality of life looks like should certain events happen or not happen because if you don't pay attention or respect that gut feeling and like – and something were to play out, if it would have happened either way, this family still thinks to themselves, well, I knew or I thought or I whatever if we would only have. And even if the outcome would have been the same but you listen to that gut feeling, you, you have now like basically, you know, uh, liberated them from having all those thoughts. Like those aren't actually liabilities that you have to worry about. And that's something that sounds almost silly but I think has a huge implications because I still see people sometimes – that still have a bitterness. I just think if we would have X Y Z, and and that's that's a you know mental health quality of life issue. So please voice your gut feelings. I hope nobody listening to this is ever shy about like you know something on the tip of the tongue or the second or third visit, especially you want to share and you don't. I'm telling you a lot of, and you can say this. I'm sure you feel the same way. Doctors are in very much like to see your children. You have to be very like you know kind of efficient during the day. That doesn't mean you don't care. It's just that's the level of efficiency to see your kids for the most part in the community. But when somebody speaks up, it's like, you see the humanism. I want to believe, maybe it's naive, that most doctors will just freeze and you will see a different version of them when you kind of like just, you know, share that thing. You know, And if you don't, then you could see someone else, especially virtually, because you deserve that as a patient.
0: I have a story. I have a story that highlights that. If we have Please. time, do you have time for yeah. a story? This is a, this is a really sad story, actually. It has a tragic ending, but I'm going to tell it anyways because I think it's relevant. When I was in the army, there was a 32-year-old Apache pilot And he had symptoms of acid reflux. He was 32 years old, had symptoms of acid reflux, and he was in the army. So he did what he was supposed to do. He went in to tell people because, you know, when you're flying, any sort of bodily distraction is a problem. So instead of sweeping on the rug, he did go in to be seen and kind of heard the whole you have ulcers, you have reflux, tried all the treatments. And I think it was six or nine months. and, And it was the wife who had the gut feeling because he was losing weight and he was having appetite problems and early satiety and some of those weird things that we hear about in school and, and it was him that was like, I just have to go to my visit and get my medicine and not have reflux and go fly the helicopters. But she was the one who had the gut feeling and the way that she would tell the story, as I recall, was that they they tried to speak up, but they didn't really feel like anyone was listening and also they kind of felt like they couldn't speak up. Because in the army, the culture is a little different. For sure. Eventually, eventually there was a diagnosis and it was gastric cancer and it was stage four. And it was one of the, so I met them in the ICU. And by that time he was, you know, very jaundiced and just had very much ascites. And it was, it was tragic. But what, what I learned from them was exactly what you said, which was that acid reflux, in a 32 year old is not always acid reflux in a 32 year old. And it is so important not only to listen, but also to say it and to say it loudly and to say it repetitively and to say it without shame and without Mm -hmm. fear of upsetting the doctor, like heads up, medicine is actually a service profession. They, doctors yep. have a responsibility just like a car mechanic does or a server at a restaurant does or a flight attendant on an airplane does. And and that's to serve you and to listen to you and be nice to you and to be empathetic and to do a good job at the thing they're supposed to do, which is listening to you. So don't yeah. feel bad about upsetting them. And if they get upset, find another one. Love so that. I'm in the corner. <laughs>
1: oh, I love, <laughs> I love that. so refreshing to hear a physician say that. I mean, you, you know... know we almost feel wrong to say that out loud sometimes, but but it's just I mean, it just breaks my heart when someone, you know, doesn't feel that kind of like reception. That's why like on you know, when I post on social media it's to make people feel more comfortable with their cancer diagnosis, why they're getting things. And when I hear like I just never felt you know, it just breaks my heart and you're and you are part of the way that people can actually have another option there's a long time when there was no option it's just bad luck if somebody was oversaturated or somebody physician may have depression or or maybe they are just mean but i hope not but maybe they're definitely out there to mean people sometimes they are
0: just mean
1: yeah but whatever it is there was no other option but there are alternatives now and if you don't feel that level of being seen as they say then you know then if there was a bad outcome, then, then it's compounded with, well, why didn't I switch? Or I knew they weren't listening. When really, again, if the outcome would have been the same, like, you still now have to live with that extra element. And I think the world gives us enough challenges that are, you know, difficult enough When I always see people get super strong. But that's your insurance for the future on being able to vocalize, you know, listen to your gut, make that change. And you just, you said it in the best way. Again, I keep saying the same, you know, redundant phrase, but you, you nailed it. I think it's, you know... An important point, and thank you for sharing that story. That does tell me it's one of my biggest soapboxes ever is if you are, and even if you're, you know, if you're not pre, a postmenopausal, but, but if, especially if you're postmenopausal, or you're a male, and you're anemic. First of all, anemia, full blown. You were anemic before, bro. You got to figure that out. You got to see, like, is it bleeding? No. Do you have a bypass surgery? Celiac disease? Yeah. You know. But then even before that, if so, if you see like that, you're, I mean, your, your red blood cells, hemoglobin, hematocritical low, even before that, if you see your RDW, which means like the variation in red blood cell size, if it just all of a sudden randomly starts getting bigger and then your MCV, which is the size of your red blood cell, starts getting smaller and it was never like that and you haven't changed your diet and you haven't gone on this paleo, you know, not eating any kind of iron thing or nothing like that you need to get it checked out because some of the earliest tip-offs, which is why I consider a CBC once a year a screening test because if you see that, you're like, bro, am I bleeding somewhere? And then I see so many stage four renal cells and bladder cancers and everything that I show my residents that I'm teaching. I'm like, now let's just pray that we didn't see like evidence of this and you see normal, 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 normal. And all of a sudden you see the changes and I'm like, they probably had renal cell for two and a half years.
0: Oh, and I, hope I that. Yes,
1: yeah, all the time. And like and gastric, you know, and and GI and all that stuff. It's it. There's so many things. And the last thing though is also in gastric. We haven't come along way. If somebody's listening or someone's lost a loved one, immunotherapy is a very real thing. We're starting to look at that, especially if you have something called a high PD one. You can have pronounced improvement. I had a patient on a trial, and now it's I think and now it is standard that you can get immunotherapy, which is not chemo if you have a high PD one score. And then they're also looking at HER two positive, which is the same thing that's in breast cancer. So I just have to include that uh and again you'll find out all those things if you go to x cures or if you do sequencing with any company just you need to be educated and um and and i try to do that on my social media you do that everywhere and, and now you're definitely somebody i just admire and want to like you know kind of take after on on those kind of things because you're very inspirational dr party and a veteran and all the things that you've done i've been very humble to speak with you i will be kicking myself tonight for talking so much because all i wanted to do was listen but i talk a lot when i'm excited so i'm sorry.
0: New best friends. I don't care. I had a blast and I'm sure we'll talk again soon.
1: Yes. Anything else you want to leave with us so we know where to find you? Um, you do virtual like, like consults yourself. If somebody wants to have this in person about their own health, they can actually see you.
0: Yeah, you can.
1: On your website.
0: Yeah. There's a little button that says like click to sign up here, become a patient. I have a virtual primary care clinic that I run. I, we can do labs and things like that. So now forever and ever and ever. Actually, I may send out a blast to my patients talking about screening CBCs and see what we can find. That would be
1: great. Um, we can collab can and do whatever it.
0: Whatever I want. This is America, right? So I can order CBCs if I want. Democratized and,
1: um, stuff.
0: That's right. And but but really, it's great. And even if even if I don't do the thing that you need, right? Because I'm not a mental health practitioner. I can't do therapy. I can't do counseling. There's a few things that that I am not great at. But yeah. I might know somebody who is or a company mm-hmm. that does or, like I personally don't I can't take insurance. It is cash pay. There's a whole nother story that we could have a whole nother podcast about that. I can't. Uh, was, it would not be appropriate to talk about today is the reason why I don't do insurance. So I'm cash pay right now. And um, and so that's not a good fit for some people, but I can help you find a place that is. Or refer you to somebody who does virtually so that you can still get the care that you need. It's out there. You just have to know where to find it.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, like I was saying, like the cash models, just depending on your setting and your community, they make sometimes a lot of sense. And they're actually like, sometimes, arguably, again, depending where you are, what your insurance, like just sometimes better care, sometimes more time. And uh, it's a becoming a popular model. I was alluding to this stuff earlier and, and you know, since coming out of pra- into practice at a fellowship, a lot of that bureaucrat- bureaucracy and red tape which I think hopefully overall means well or fail stops, but they do get in the way sometimes of medicine. And I think any physician in any specialty like, would admit you know, and share that. So we do the best we can in the system we can. And I love what you're doing to be able to make yourself accessible with you know, none of those hurdles. That's how also one of my tips about recognizing or knowing a good doctor is what you said. You're like, I can't do this. Or, or I may not know this, that is always, in my book, like somebody that's a good doctor. You want somebody that knows their lane, that can, like, understand the things they do. I don't have any mental health training. I see it, like, just anecdotally in the rooms. But that's, you know, just kind of a side tip I give my friends, especially, that are in other states. Hey, what do you think about this doctor, this, that, and the other? I'm like, when you hear those kind of terms, you know it's a doctor that just feels very, like, knows very well what they know very well, but also knows when to ask for help. That's why they call it practice, right? We're all learning, and I think that's one of the coolest things. You, as a physician, no surprise, we're sharing at the end of, uh, you know, end of our talk, which I'm so
0: sad is ending. So sad, but hey, yeah. there's always more podcasts, right?
1: That's it.